Show, Bitcoin and Common Sense. Hi, I'm Steve Miller. I've been a trial lawyer in Florida and Massachusetts since 1985. If you and your spouse hate each other like poison and want to get out of the hellhole you call a marriage, you've come to the right place. Look, you can waste your money screwing around with some paper pusher paralegal type, give thousands of dollars to some piece of crap three-piece suit downtown, blow your brains out trying to figure out why you wasted 25 bucks on the crappy forms you bought from the illiterate boob at the courthouse, or do what I say and do it now. We know what we're doing here. Look at this website, a work of art. Here's the story. Pay us a little and we get you a lot. Don't worry about the details. We'll take care of business and let you know when to crack open the champagne. Okay, time to move on. Go to the Get the Divorce page in the upper right corner, pay up, and you're on your way to getting rid of that vermin you call a spouse. We're here to help. Divorce EZ, a Florida law firm. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, Mr. Crypto. You're a Gucci boo-boo. Good afternoon, America. Welcome to the Dana Crypto Show. It's the show all about Bitcoin and blockchain technology. Yeah, Mr. Crypto. Man, moving and shaking, rocking and rolling here in the world, man. It's a fast-paced world that goes by quick. It goes by like that, like that, like that. You're listening to the Dana Crypto Show. It's the first FM radio show in America on Bitcoin, blockchain technology, common sense. Getting your head out of your arse. Trying to get mine out of mine. You disgust me. And we're all in this together. We try to help each other out. So we've been talking. This is a, the third part now. If you're tuning in for the first time, go back and listen to the first two. Because it's a tie-in, man. It all ties in. Can't do it all at once. You know why? Keeping these shows, you know, little tidbits. We do four parts because you don't have that much attention span. Especially when it's audio. If you're listening, of course, of course, you have a good attention span. But all the people who don't. So we have to break it down into little parts, man. Hi-ho. And you might have 20 minutes to listen, but you don't have an hour. Who's got an hour? Life is busy. It's a real thing. We want to learn about the roadblocks to justice because the justice system affects us all. It affects everybody. There's not a living person... <laughs> alive you're either on the radar or you're not and if you you know if you pop out of the system you'll be on the radar funny bastard. a roadblock to justice would be something that gets you out of the way of getting justice man it's something you know what a roadblock is man they block the road they stop you they used to do that in massachusetts back in the day like every seventh car they'd stop because drunk driving was that out of control couldn't understand that you're not supposed to drink alcohol and drive Well, this week, we're going to talk about the grand jury system in America. It's a call for reform here on the Dana Crypto Show, abolishing this thing. The grand jury system in America has been a subject of debate and criticism for as long as it's existed. There are compelling arguments to abolish it. We're going to look at the grand jury system in America and why it should be abolished, focusing on issues of transparency, bias, inefficiency, and its potential for misuse. Man, the biggest thing is the lack of transparency. One of the primary concerns surrounding the grand jury system is the lack of transparency. It's a secret proceeding, man. Grand jury proceedings are conducted in secret with no judge or defense attorney present. Oh, come on! The secrecy can lead to decisions that are not accountable to the public. 
and undermine the principle of openness and fairness in the justice system. Shut up! Critics argue this secrecy allows prosecutors to manipulate the proceedings to their advantage, presenting evidence selectively without cross-examination. Shut up! If you can control the narrative, and we've been talking here on the Dana Crypto Show, you're listening to part three of Roadblocks to Justice. This is a roadblock, man. It's secrecy. It allows them to manipulate. It's like an onion, man. The layers just keep coming off with this lack of transparency. Gang, stop this crazy thing! Bias and lack of diversity. Another significant problem with the grand jury system is its potential for bias and lack of diversity. Grand jurors are typically selected from the local community, but this process can lead to a lack of diversity and representation. The racial and socioeconomic disparities in the criminal justice system can also be reflected in grand jury decisions. You don't really think that, do you? Do you really believe that? That socio and economic disparities in the criminal justice system? Isn't there like a, a whole cult of people that are out there? It's not even a cult. It's like a movement trying to get some fairness out here. Research has shown that minority defendants are more likely to be indicted by grand juries than their white counterparts suggesting a systematic bias within the system. Man, unbelievable. This grand jury system as a side note or as a partial note or as a full note, you should know there's only two countries on the whole freaking planet, in the whole world, only two countries that still use the grand jury system. And I'm going to tell you first who it's not. It's not North Korea. It's not China. It's not Russia. It's not Iraq. It's not anybody you think. Two countries. United States of America and Liberia. The Lone Ranger. England, nope. Any, like, progressive, normal country doesn't have the grand jury system. It's inefficiency and rubber stamping is another issue, and it's another roadblock. But you tell that to all the boys. I mean girls. Critics argue that the grand jury system has devolved into a rubber stamping mechanism for prosecutors. In many cases, prosecutors control the flow of information and the presentation of evidence to the grand jury, making it highly unlikely for an indictment not to be handed down. You disgust me. This efficiency-focused process can lead to miscarriages of justice, as inefficiency-investigated cases may proceed to trial, wasting time. You're wasting fucking time. You're wasting resources. Is there enough shit going on in the world? You gotta have this type of system of things? One eternity later. You're listening to the Dana Crypto Show. You're hearing me probably on the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com. We have alternative approaches in this grand jury system to address the shortcomings of the grand jury system. Worth considering a few alternative approaches. Some suggest replacing grand juries with preliminary hearings, which are proceedings overseen by a judge. This would ensure greater transparency, accountability, and an opportunity for the defense to present its case. If you control the narrative, you're going to get a 95% conviction rate. The person's not allowed to stalk, and you squash them like a bug. That's the system, regardless of if they're guilty or innocent. There's a process. It's in our Constitution. We have it. It's supposed to be that way, and they go around the law as a roadblock to justice. Epic fail. We should adopt a system where a judge reviews evidence and decides whether to proceed with charges, as in many countries. And it could help mitigate the issues associated with grand juries. You're listening to the Dana Crypto Show, and we'll be right back. 
listening to the Gaina Crypto Show, Bitcoin and Common Sense. They'll be right back. Oh, God. Oh. So, Mr. Tipton, how could it take you five minutes to cook your grits when it takes the entire grit-eating world 20 minutes? I don't know. I'm a fast cook, I guess. I'm sorry, I was all the way over here. I couldn't hear you. Did you say you're a fast cook? That's it? Are we to believe that boiling water soaks into a grit faster in your kitchen than on any place on the face of the earth? I don't know. Well, perhaps the laws of physics cease to exist on your stove. Were these magic grits? I mean, did you buy them from the same guy who sold Jack his beanstalk beans? Uh, yeah, objection, Your Honor. Objection sustained. Are you Mr. sure about Tipton, that five minutes? Ignore the question. Know. Are you sure about that five minutes? I don't know. I think you made your point. Are you sure about that five minutes? I may have been mistaken. I got no more use for this guy. I'm Lisa Broderick. And I'm Jeremy Gans. Have you been injured in an accident? Talk to us. We'll get you the money you deserve. <laughs> After my accident, Jeremy Gans got me a settlement of $6,000. Lisa Broderick got me $1.7 million. Thanks to Lisa Broderick, we were awarded $2 million. Wait. <laughs> We've got you back. I, Lisa Broderick, have 14 years of law experience, and I graduated top of my class at Yale. And I am also a lawyer. I burned my tongue on hot coffee. Thanks to Lisa Broderick, I don't have to work anymore. Dale sprained his ankle at the mall. And now we're set for life. Cement truck crashed into my living room and dumped cement all over me. I was trapped in concrete for three days. Fireman had to chisel me out. Now that I think about it, $6,000 seems pretty light given the severity of this accident. I'm not sure Gans did a good job here. As a lawyer, I love having a personal connection with my clients. That's right, Dana Crypto here, reporting live from Washington, D.C. This just in. Speaker McCarthy is out. You gotta understand something about Congress and how these guys are call them lawmakers. You know why? They're all lawyers. Every single one of them. And they can't get it right. They can't get it right. It's just it's really it's really comical when you think about what's going on right in front of your face. Self-destruct sequence activated. They worked and joined with the Democrats to get back at a guy that worked and joined with the Democrats. Does that make sense? Is it me? Is this the Twilight Zone? Are we in a freaking orb? Mark calling Orson. Come in, Orson. It's crazy. I gotta just unplug and stop listening to this crap, because it really, at the end of the day, doesn't really have any effect on you. Doesn't have an effect on me in our day-to-day life. Can you imagine? Just shut your radio off. Shut your TV off. Shut your phone off, which you'll never do. Stop looking at the news. Stop looking at what they're pumping into your, your house, the garbage crap stop looking for things to open up your opinion or to back up your opinion and just live your life unplugged no news feed 
you don't care what's going on in China. You don't care what's going on down the street. I don't care what's going on. So why do we bother? Why do we set ourselves up for failure in this society? But I just thought it was funny that the lawmakers can't even agree. Let's send it over to the NPR news desk where they're taking a quick look at the rollout of government COVID relief. If you took out a dodgy government business loan during the pandemic, you might be wondering if it'll ever catch up with you. And you might have a lot of company. Investigators now say they have questions about $200 billion worth of federal business aid, which includes the PPP loans issued during the depths of the crisis. That is way too many cases for the feds to look into, but local investigators have joined the effort, and your likelihood of getting caught may come down to where you work. NPR's Martin Costi has the story from Chicago. The thing about those millions of forgivable pandemic loans, they're searchable. During the pandemic, news organizations sued the government to make sure it would post basic information, such as names, addresses, and dollar amounts. And when you dig into that data, it can take you to some interesting places. Such as Matthew House, a small day shelter for the homeless on Chicago's south side. A couple of men are watching TV. Tia Singleton is the shelter's director of case management. They can come in and get out of the elements. They can stay all day, take two showers, uh, have two hot meals. There's also a free mail room here. Anyone, homeless or not, can give out this address. And 50 people did when they applied for pandemic business loans. Records show that more than half of them got the money, usually $20,000, which was the standard amount for a one-person business with $100,000 in revenue. Singleton looks at the list of names. I'm sure maybe 99% of the people are here don't have a business. She says nobody in government ever contacted Matthew House to ask about the 50 businesses supposedly based here. No, and that's why this is very concerning to me because... If these people all have the same address, I think that should have been questioned, right? But to be fair, investigators have their hands full. That PPP list is full of suspicious patterns like this. There's repeated addresses, repeated names, and the recurrence of certain kinds of one-person businesses that are hard to prove didn't exist. Catering comes up a lot. One study showed that Chicago had a higher rate of these suspicious loans than other big cities. It's not clear why. Lisa Noller says you have to be realistic about what the feds can do about it. Well, there's there's a resource issue. Noller is a lawyer who used to prosecute financial crimes for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago. She says the feds tend to look for cases with a good return on investment, egregious cases where someone claimed to have multiple employees and stole millions. These one-person business loans are just less interesting. The federal government does not have so many prosecutors that they can pursue people who got $20,000. There's also no jail time for a $20,000. So does this mean the small fry will get off scot-free? Not necessarily, because this is where the inspectors general come in. I'm Will Fletcher. I'm the inspector general for Chicago Public Schools. Inspectors General for public agencies often investigate fraud committed by their employees. Fletcher knew that he'd have his hands full when he saw how, during the pandemic, the feds were handing out money with few questions asked. When that happened, when we saw how little information was being collected, we knew that people would go for it. So Fletcher's office ran that PPP data against the list of Chicago schools' 30,000 employees. While they may have correctly assessed that the chances of an FBI agent showing up at their door were rather low. 
what they probably didn't count on was that local oversight agencies would be looking into these loans because they have to protect the integrity of the government entity that they work for. He says so far they've identified 15 cases of fraud among school employees and more cases are open. Things are even further along over at the Chicago Housing Authority. The inspector general there is Catherine Richards. Her office overlooks a noisy junction for the L train. Last year, her office identified 23 housing authority employees who had suspicious loans or got loans for real businesses that they'd been hiding from their employer. 16 employees ended up being fired. We had a good handful say they were using the money to start a business. (laughs) Others just, you know, my sister told me to do it. I didn't read it, but I signed it. Some things like that. NPR reached out to the fired employees. Most didn't want to talk. One did, but not on tape. We're not using her name because she's admitting to a crime. I did get caught up in it, she said. But she also said she had decades with the housing authority and, quote, I was a damned good employee. The residents loved me, and I felt like what happened didn't have nothing to do with our jobs, unquote. But the IG says this does have to do with their jobs, especially since the housing authority doles out federal money. You can't administer a federal program if you've defrauded another federal program. <laughs> so, Other public agencies are also running investigations. Chicago IG Deborah Witzberg won't say how many of the city's 36,000 employees are under scrutiny, or which ones, but she says she has certain priorities. We are appropriately more concerned about potential abuses by people in positions of public trust. High-ranking people, you know, city officials, people in positions where they interact with or control some piece of city finances, etc. And this isn't just about public employees, either. People on government aid are now under suspicion. Denerica Brooks is with Chicago Legal Aid. The Chicago Housing Authority is affirmatively looking at that online ledger to see which families have received PPP loans, and the CHA is using that information to terminate the subsidies of those families. The CHA has identified almost 9,000 loans linked to people in subsidized housing, and it's telling residents to explain pandemic aid that potentially disqualifies them for their low-income benefits. But Brooks says this is unfair, making them justify their PPPs when so many big businesses didn't have to. She says it's making people anxious. The worries are, when will they start looking? When is the cutoff? Am I safe? And what can I do? And who's going to be able to help me actually preserve my subsidy if I need help? As to the question of how long this will hang over people's heads, Will Fletcher thinks it's going to be a while. I don't know that that concern ever gets stale. Besides being the IG for Chicago schools, Fletcher is also president of the Association of Inspectors General. They just had their conference in Chicago. He says around the country, every local or state IG he knows has some kind of PPP investigation going. He also predicts that the question of bogus pandemic loans will now become a permanent part of public agencies' vetting process. We think that it should be. We think that when you're hiring a new employee in any kind of a position of trust, It should be part of the standard background check, where you went to school, whether you've had an arrest. You should also look for indicators of pandemic fraud, including PPP fraud. So if you did bend the truth about having a small business during the pandemic, the feds are probably not coming for you. But that searchable list is not going away. Martin Costi, NPR News, Chicago. Thank you, Martin. 
It should be noted that Congress had a subcommittee and they came back with a 138-page report of how DeFi, decentralized finance companies, the SBA created fraud. They invented it. They raked billions and billions of dollars in profits, billions and billions, knowingly approving loans, bankers referring them. In some instances, these business owners would call their bank and their bank would say, call this number. Maybe it's at Cabbage. And they told you what to do. They told you exactly what to do and how to do it. And they facilitated this fraud at an unprecedented level. And the FBI and all those other places, those agencies, they're looking for this. They're grabbing the low-hanging fruit. They got 1.7 to 2.3 million of these loans that are questionable. They've only had about 4,000 arrests. That's 0.001%. Low-hanging fruit, man. Wow. Well, we're going to do part four next week. I hope you tune in for that because you know here at the Dana Crypto Show, we believe in a few basic principles. We believe in a level playing field. We believe that everyone should have equal access and opportunity to all things that make us healthier and wealthier as a nation. We believe that talent is distributed equally, but opportunity, well, it's not. The way we do commerce is changing. The revolution is here. And hopefully by becoming a fan of the Dana Crypto Show, you too can get in on the game. My name is Dana. Yeah, Mr. Crypto. Real Dana Crypto, at Real Dana Crypto, DanaCrypto.com. And always remember, mutants, freaks, and cryptophiles, I am your king.